know, about 10 years ago, God gave me this um, amazing gift that came in the form of an 81-year-old friend. Um, I don't know what your life is like. I don't have a lot of 81-year-old friends, but this dude is awesome, loves Jesus, like maybe more ferociously than any of my other friends. If you've been on Ethos for any amount of time, you've heard me talk about my friend Don. I unapologetically talk about him any chance I get because he's one of those guys that when I'm around him, there's just this like ferociousness of faith. I mean, like, I don't even know if that's a thing. He's just like, he is so hungry for God. He loves Jesus. Just, just, I could tell you story after story after story, but uh, we've been friends now for about 10 years and he has, he has more, he has more heart. He has more fire. He has more vision in his pinky finger than, than most of us have, you know, in, in the context of our whole life. And so every time I'm around him, I'm like, Don, I don't know what it is that you have, but I want it. Like, like if I could just catch some of that, that, that spirit that you have. And so a couple of years ago, he and I were uh, at this conference together. Uh, we didn't travel together. We actually just ended up there kind of accidentally. I look across, I see him, I'm like, whoa. So uh, that night we went to dinner and we're sitting down at dinner and I said, hey, what, what's God been stirring in your heart recently? And I'll never forget this conversation. He and I have had so many meaningful conversations, but that night he said, he said what God's been stirring in my heart recently is just this, this deep lament and that's not what I expected him to say. He said, but there's been this, this deep lament, this grief in me over so many of my friends, friends that started the journey of faith when I started, started ministry, started leadership when I did, but they haven't finished well. He said, there's just this thing in me that goes, man, why is it that so many start strong and end poorly? And he was, just, he was just grieving. He was grieving some of his friends. He was grieving what he was seeing in the culture. He was grieving what he was seeing in the church, and as, as he was talking, I thought, yeah, Don, that's true of a lot of people. That's not true of you. Like, like you're on fire for Jesus. Like, like what is going on in you? Like, what do you have? What, what, what makes it different? And he, he began to just share these things. And he said a lot of stuff that was just pure gold that I'll, forget, I'll remember for a long time. But something I'll never forget, it, it just stuck with me. It was like a tattoo on my soul. He looked at me, and he said, Dave, he said, one of the ways that, uh, that, that you survive this culture that is increasingly cynical, is increasingly chaotic, is increasingly complacent. He says the way you survive that kind of culture where just the gravitational pull of culture in the church just brings you towards cynicism and complacency and chaos. He says the way that you make it through is he said against all of that, you guard your heart in Jesus. He said you make sure you don't lose your heart. So make sure you don't get weary. He said, he said, so many people come out of the gate strong, but they, they get weary and, and they lose their heart and they, and they dry up and, and what God was doing seems to kind of burn out in them. And he goes, man, against all of that, against all of the cynicism, all of the chaos, all the complacency, he said, don't lose your heart. And as he said that, I, just, I thought, man, you see that all through scriptures, right? You know, Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. It says against everything, above everything, guard your heart. Why? Because... The entirety of your life flows out of your heart. So what David said when he showed up at the battle lines and the Israelites were cowering in fear to Goliath who was taunting them for 40 days, David showed up and he said, hey, you're not gonna lose heart on account of this giant, are you? So Jesus said to his disciples the night before he was crucified, John chapter 16, he was telling them how difficult life was gonna feel, the onslaught of culture that was about to come against them. And he said, I tell you these things so you would not lose heart. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter four, he says, I've been hard pressed, I've been crushed, everything's coming against me. He says, but in the midst of this, I have not lost my, somebody help me out, I have not lost my, come on, I have not lost my, my heart. 
I haven't lost my heart. I was looking at my friend that night, 89 years young at that point. And he goes, at some point, our careers and our comfort and all of these things, the cynicism and the culture around us, at some point, most of us lose our hearts. He says, against all of it, do not lose heart. I was thinking about his words over the last couple of days, just confessionally. I, man, the last year, with everything that's gone on in the culture, everything that's gone on in the church, the complacency that's been revealed in my own life at times, I, I'm just being very real. There have been so many moments where I've been on the precipice of just losing heart. And I won't ask you to raise your hand, but man, I, I just talked to so many followers of Jesus. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? And what I see almost wholesale is a loss of heart. <laughs> and to be a follower of Jesus, to walk with Jesus, it's an enterprise of the heart. And he keeps coming after us, and he keeps coming after us, and he keeps coming after us. He says, against the, honor, against the onslaught of cynicism and chaos, against the onslaught of your own just complacency and comfort, guard your heart. And I love this, this moment in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the book of Hebrews, but I love it. The writer is writing to a group of people uh, so similar to you and I. They were on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the resurrection. Jesus had been risen from the dead. He had, he had offered life for anybody that would choose and trust in his name. Uh, he had returned to heaven. Most of the people that were receiving the book of Hebrews had, had not seen Jesus face to face physically. They did not know the sound of his earthly voice like some of the earlier disciples. They were learning how to follow Jesus by faith. And there's this moment in Hebrews chapter 11 where the writer is, is looking out at these weary people like so many of us. And he's looking out and he says, hey, in the midst of the, the pluralistic culture you find yourselves in, in the midst of the sin-soaked, complacent church you find yourselves in that you contribute to. Here's what it means to be faithful. In Hebrews chapter 11, he's just telling these stories of men and women, some of them well-known, some of them not known at all that are trying to live out their faith. And then he gets to Hebrews chapter 12 and he, just, he dials it in a little bit and he begins to look right at his audience. He says, now let me talk with you. Let me deal with, with your heart, with, with your faith. Look, look at Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse one with me. Starts like this, it says, therefore, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but anytime a scripture starts with the word therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is that therefore? Like what idea is he connecting here? This isn't just out of nowhere. Like he's saying, hey, all this stuff that we just talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, all of these men and women of faith that endured in the midst of crazy cynicism and hard culture and pluralistic society, he says, all that's going on. He says, now, therefore, in light of that, he says, let me talk to you. Let me, let me tell you something. He keeps going like this. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that has been marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him. Do you know what the joy set before him was? It was the, the pleasure of his father. It was the glory of God. It was the redemption of your heart and your life. It was the defeating of the devil and his work. It was all these things. He said, for the joy that had been set before Jesus. Keep going. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse three, so consider him 
Think about him, dwell on him, meditate upon him, think about, consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners. Why? So that, so that you will not grow weary and help me out and lose, come on, and lose heart. He says, all this that I've just told you about, all these men and women of faith, and all these instructions that I've just given to you, he says, I've told these things to you, why? So that, he says, I don't want you to guess. I'm not gonna leave you in the dark. Like, let me tell you why I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this so you won't grow weary and lose your heart. Because following Jesus begins with the capturing of the heart. And over time, so many of us, as we navigate the complexity and the cynicism and the chaos and the comfort of the world, man, we, we lose our hearts. And I, I love this moment in Hebrews chapter 12 because the writer of Hebrews, he's just so beautifully practical. I don't know if you think about the scriptures this way. I think some, sometimes we, we take the scriptures and we just kind of divorce them from their context and we slap them on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or an Instagram post or whatever it is. And they become these like kind of wonderful, ethereal kind of statements, but they lose all of their practical teeth. And the writer of Hebrews, he, he was not so much interested in inspiring us, but in helping us practically live out the ways of Jesus right here and now. And I love this. He says, I've told you these things so that you won't lose your heart. And in the midst of it, he begins to unpack like how you actually go about protecting your heart in the midst of this cynical, compromised, complacent culture that we find ourselves in. And I don't know if you take notes, but there's just a few things that were just jumping off the page at me as I meditated on the scripture. And the first thing is this. He says, hey, if you wanna guard your heart, if you wanna protect your heart in the midst of the moment you find yourself in, number one, there's some things that you're just gonna have to let go of. There's some things that you just have to let go of. This idea that you could just keep following Jesus and smuggling all of those old things into the kingdom, it's not gonna work. Look back at verse one with me. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off, let us get rid of, let us evict, let us expel anything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. I, I love, there's like almost this like violent, intense language. He says, there are things in your life that are hindering you and entangling you, and unless you let go of those things, it's gonna be difficult for your heart to be captivated by Jesus again. You know, there's different ways that, that Sydney and I clean our house. There's the way that we clean our house right before friends come over in a few minutes, and there's the way that we clean our house in the spring when we're like really, really ready to clean it. There's that moment right before people come over where it's like, hey, put stuff under the bed and in the back room and spray for breeze and light the candle and turn on the music, and it's like, we're ready. Oh, <laughs> uh, you've done that too, huh? Like, and the house isn't clean, it just feels clean. And then there's that moment that we have in the spring where we're just like sick of the clutter. And it's like, stuff has got to go. We're just like throwing away anything that's not nailed down. We're taking stuff to Goodwill. Our kids, just put them in the van, Goodwill. Like you're gone, like, you know, <laughs> just take it. Just, it's gotta go, it's gotta go. We just clean it out. See, a lot of us, we spend our whole life with Jesus. We're not actually interested in him cleaning up our hearts. We just keep rearranging the junk and hiding it from the people around us. And he says, there is stuff that has to be thrown off. Stuff, you just gotta get rid of it. 
You gotta expel it. You gotta burn the bridge. You gotta take it out. It's just, it's the way that it's gotta go. And it's interesting. He kind of gives two different types of things that have to go. He says, he says, there's things that are hindering you. And notice that he doesn't call those things sinful. He says, there's things that have to be thrown off because they're hindering you. They're just making it difficult for you to walk in intimacy with Jesus. They're not inherently bad but they're taking way too much of your time, your energy, your thoughts, your money, your, your focus. There's stuff that's distracting you from the, greatest, the greater purposes of God in your life. Guys, I'm convinced that especially in American Christianity, the greatest barrier for faithfulness with Jesus is not always the most obviously sinful things. It is the good things that have numbed your heart and your mind from the greatest purposes of God. He says there's things that have to, to go. You know, we, Sydney and I, we feel this in parenting. You know, there's nights where we get to the end of the night and we're just whipped. And if we could get a card that's like get out a parenting free card, we would just pull it. And we know that like at the end of the day, like we want to, to look into their eyes and know their hearts and to, to go deep and to have fun and to play games and to go for walks and to wrestle and to do all that. But there's some nights where I'm so exhausted. It's like, can Netflix just be the parents tonight? And I'm not saying that judgmentally to any of you with young kids that are exhausted and want to put on TV at the end of the night, but I remember years ago, Sydney and I were on one of our prayer retreats and we're talking about what we want our friendship with our boys to be like when they're in their mid-30s and early 40s. And we said, if that's the kind of friendship we want to have with them then, there are some things that right now have to just get out of our life because if we don't get them out of our life, they will hinder us from actually knowing them deeply. We look back at some of the great men and women of the faith and we look at the friendship they have with God and go, man, I wish I could have that. Did you know you can? But you have to decide. Hey, Lord, if there's anything that's getting in the way of knowing you, it's just gotta go. But he keeps going. Look back at verse one. He says, it's not just that you let go of things that hinder. He says, there's also sin that just entangles you. There's stuff that is actually inherently evil that is against the ways of God and that if you make peace with it, it will rob you of God's purposes in your life. A couple of years ago, I was at Home Depot and there was this sale on extension cords. That's how I know I'm old. I got pumped about a sale on an extension cord and there was this extension cord 150 feet long. And at the time, I didn't realize why that's such a bad idea to have a cord that long, but I'm like, whoa, this is a great price per square foot, you know? And, like, and so I bought this. I'm like, I can, I can you know, blow off the leaves of my driveway and my neighbor's driveway and in Kentucky and I don't ever have to unplug. You know, it's like, this is amazing. And so I get this extension cord and do you know how long it worked? It worked for like two weekends. And then it was so tangled. <laughs> it's this crazy mess. And so if you come over to my house on a Saturday right now, I promise you, this is what you will still see. Instead of being 150 feet of like just bliss, you know, like leaf blowing bliss, I've got about 15 feet of actual usable, because it's like I plug in my leaf blower, there's this gigantic knot of like 125 feet, and then there's 10 more feet that go to the outlet. And so it's the most useless thing ever. And I mean, this, this is the story that so many of us live in. God makes us for great purposes. You're his treasured possession. <laughs> his plans and purposes, but your life is so entangled with sin, so hindered by things that choke out the life of God in you. Instead of running free into what God's made you for, you stick close and you never experience it. I love this. He says, I'm telling you these things so that you don't get weary and lose your, help me out, lose your heart. He says, this is why I'm telling you this. So you don't lose your heart. 
So there's some things you have to let go of, but he keeps going. Second thing is he says, not just what you let go of, he said, there's some purposes that you were made to live into. There's some purposes that you were made to live into. So look back at verse one with me. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that has been marked out for us. Like, let, it, let us run the race that God has marked out for us. I don't know if, if you woke up thinking about this this morning, but long before you were a twinkle in your parents' eye, before you were a thought in your parents' heart, you were dreamt up in the heart of God. Psalm 139 says, like, he, he has made you, he has gifted you, he has wired you for some specific things. There are some things on earth that are universal to humanity that you should be a part of, and there are some things that are unique to you. Think about Ephesians 2, verse 10. You are God's workmanship, his masterpiece created in Jesus. He's prepared great things in advance for you to be a part of. It's like this spiritual scavenger hunt. There's a race that God's marked out for you to be a part of. The question is, are you running it? In 2017 in Venice, Italy, they had this, this huge marathon every year. People from all over the world come to run this, this race. There's this one guy that had trained and trained and trained and trained and trained. And for the first 16 and a half miles of the race, he was dominating him and this group in the front, just dominating this race. And right after the 16 mile mark, they, they take a wrong turn. And they begin to wrong on the run trail and uh, on the wrong street. And, and they were in the front of the pack, but they were wrong, running the wrong race and end up losing the marathon. I thought, man, this, this is a story of humanity. There are so many human beings that are really good and really fast, they're just running the wrong race. I think my fear is that so many of us will get to the end and go, man, I, I was the best at that thing in my career. I was the best at that thing over here. I was the best at this, the best at this. I ran the race better than anybody else. And you'll get there only to discover you ran the wrong race altogether. He says there's a race that's been marked out for you. And I'm telling you this so that you do not lose your, come on, so you do not lose your, come on, I know we're cool, it's the 11 o'clock, but you do not lose your, he said, I don't want you to lose your heart. Who cares if you're at church every Sunday, but you come without your heart? Who cares if you follow every rule, but you come without your heart? I don't want you to lose your heart. He says, and there's things that you have to let go of, and there are purposes that you are meant to live into. And a third thing that I noticed, and there is one that you were created to look upon without ceasing. It's not just about you letting go of some junk and you rekindling your purpose in the kingdom. He says, there's this one that you were made to fix your eyes upon. Remember, he's talking to people that had not seen Jesus physically. This was a spiritual reality. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Verse two, he says, keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. Not a one-time thing, keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. Then he gets to verse three, he says, keep considering him, thinking about him, dwelling on him. Because the writer of Hebrews knew this to be true by the power of the Holy Spirit, is that where you fix your eyes, your heart will follow, and where your heart follows, there your life goes. He says it's not just about letting go, it's not just about living in a purpose. He says you're, there's this one that you were made to look upon, to, to consume, to think about his life, to think about his words, to think about his way of doing things. And as you do that, the Lord begins to strengthen your heart. 
I'm just constantly reminded, it is so easy to be in the presence of something great, but to miss it because we're looking in the wrong direction. A couple of weeks ago, our family, we were in the Northeast visiting some of Sydney's extended family. We were up kind of in and around the Boston area and turned it into a great little family trip. But on our last night uh, on the trip, we said, we've got to go to Fenway. We're big baseball fans. We're like, we've got to, got to see the Red Sox play. Never been in Fenway before. And just a little bit of a backstory. Uh, really, since my kids were born, uh, a couple of nights a week, Sydney and I will just tell them these outrageous stories, you know, uh, kind of built around their alter egos. Their nicknames are Danger, Brave, and Hero. And so, you know, two or three times a week, we're just telling them these just crazy stories about them you know, defeating bad guys and saving civilization, you know, just small stuff. And, and they, they, they love these stories. And so as we we're getting ready to go up to Boston, I said, hey, uh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna tell you some stories about Danger, Brave, and Hero uh, saving the Boston Red Sox from the, from the clutches of the evil Bill Belichick and Bill Belichick. And, you know, he's become jealous ever since Tom Brady left and he wants to get the Red Sox to, to go down. And so just these ridiculous stories for two or three days. And and so Sydney and I came up with this idea. We said, what if we somehow connected the dots between the story and the reality? And so we made this kind of like little treasure hunt for them on our last day in Boston. And if you do all of these things, when you get to the Fenway Park, the Red Sox game that night, we want you to, to fill out this note with the checks of all the things he did, turn it into a paper airplane, throw it out onto the field, you know. And, and if, if you succeed in the mission, the mayor of Boston will get that paper airplane and you'll save the Boston Red Sox and there'll be a message to you up on the Jumbotron. And they were pumped. They were like, this is awesome. So that last day, they're just working hard. They're like, in fact, it kind of ruined our last day because they're so eager to, to do all these things, but they're trying to do all of these things. And they're like, we want to see the message on the scoreboard. And so Sydney and I lined it up. We knew when it was going to happen, what part of, uh, of, of the game it was in. And so we're there. The moment's about to come. And it's like, nobody go get food. Nobody go to the restroom. We got to look at the billboard or we got to look at the, the jumbotron. And so we're there and we're looking at the Jumbotron and just a, a few seconds before the video or before the message is supposed to play from the mayor of Boston to our boys, this video on the screen right next to it starts playing of baseball bloopers. And it was awesome. It was hilarious. And so we're watching these like baseball bloopers and we're all laughing. And I kid you not, we totally forget that the message is getting ready to play on the screen and we miss it. And we look over the Jumbotron and right as the message is going off, we all miss it. And and our boys are like, wait, do we miss it? Do it? And we're like, we missed it. And they're like, get him to do it again. I'm like, guys, it doesn't really work that way. Um, I don't know how to get him to do it again. And this moment of what should have been like deep joy all of a sudden turned into deep grief. And they're all like crying and sad. They're like, we missed the message. And I'm like, man, we just ruined the baseball game. We, we ruined our last day. And I go, it's all because we were looking in the wrong direction. Guys, no matter what the news tells you, no matter what the culture tells you, no matter what your friends tell you, Jesus is at work in profound ways all around you. He is, he is at work. He, he is advancing the kingdom. He is doing amazing things in your family, in your friend group, in your neighborhood, in his church, in the nation, in the nations. But if your eyes are not fixed on Christ and his kingdom, you will miss it. And you were made to look upon him. The writer of Hebrews says, I, I tell you these things. Look back at verse one with me just one more time. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that has been marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus 
the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured this cross, scorned its shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So church, consider him, think about him, dwell on him, meditate upon him, take him into your life. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose your and lose your heart. Your, battle, your heart is a spiritual battleground. And one of the most significant things you can do as a disciple of Jesus is to keep coming back to the Lord and saying, hey, Lord, is there anything here that's hindering or entangling me? Take it. Hey, Lord, are there any races that I have set my foot to that you did not prepare my feet for? Is there anything that I have fixed my heart upon other than the face of your son, Jesus, that will send me down a path that I don't wanna go down? And no matter how young you are or how old you are, if there is breath in your lungs, it's not too late to come back to the Lord and say, here's my heart, take me. And for some of you this morning, that's, that's what it is. Like, we're gonna take communion here in just a couple of minutes. We're gonna worship. We're gonna have men and women at the Respond Banner that love to pray for you. And if your heart feels weary, if your purposes feel foggy, if your spiritual vision is distracted and you want someone to just pray the strength of God over you, we'd love to pray over you at the Respond Banner. If this is your first time here, it's not a shameful thing to come over to you. We'll stand up, we'll worship. You just come over, we'd love to pray over you. As we take communion, we're gonna circle our chairs up and I just wanna encourage you as you circle your chairs up, share with one another anything that is pulling on your heart, that is tugging on your heart, that is seeking to keep you from Jesus. And then through prayer, encourage one another. I don't know if you know what the word encourage means, but it, it literally just kind of means to put courage into someone. To take someone that's weary and worn out and say, hey, I'm giving you the courage of the Lord. And so to just pray over one another, Lord, fill them with strength. Strengthen their hearts. You know, there's some of you here this morning, you're not followers of Jesus and you don't need your heart to be refreshed. You don't need your heart to be strengthened. You need a brand new heart altogether. And this is the beauty of the scripture that says, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame. He sat down at the right hand of God. Why? So that you can receive a new heart. Ezekiel 36, it's the promise that God, when you just cry out to him, he removes that heart of stone. He gives you a heart of flesh. He fills you with his Holy Spirit and he leads you in the ways of life. And there's some of you here this morning, you just, just from your seat, you go, hey, hey, Jesus, like I need a new heart. If you have questions about how do you follow him, how do you become a follower of Jesus, once again, I'm be at the respond, men, men and women, we'd love to help you do that. But don't leave here today with a distracted, tangled up, spiritually dead heart. God wants to do something in that. So I wanna pray over us this morning. And then after I get done praying, you can circle your chairs up, get in groups of two or three or four or five, whatever you want. Share any burdens of your heart. We're gonna break the bread, we're gonna take the cup. We're gonna to pray together that Jesus himself would be our strength. And at any point during that, you can come up and receive prayer at the respond banner and then we'll end our time with a little bit of worship. Father, thank you for these amazing brothers and sisters, both in the room and those that are joining us online. God, your word tells us that you search the whole earth looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to you. And God, we say that we want hearts that are fully committed to you, but it is so easy to be distracted and to be bogged down. God, in the midst of everything that we're going through, would you keep us from losing heart? Don't let us grow weary. Jesus, this morning, would you be our strength? Would you be our satisfaction? God, for those that are not walking with you in any way, would you just 
Would you speak to them in their hearts? Would you let them know, Lord, that you long to give them a new heart and would you, would you help them to surrender in faith to you? God, we love you. Would you help us to be an unhindered people, undivided people? They're coming to you wholeheartedly with all that you've made us for. In the name of Jesus, I pray and give, give thanks. Amen.